0: Coming up on Stu Does America, James Poulos joins to explain how cryptocurrency could help in the battle against woke cancel culture. A new pill shows promise for curbing COVID 19 related deaths. We'll get into that. And if you haven't noticed, the media is still playing their instruments as lefties on the hill waltz and spin. We might as well join the fun as we do the dance of the Dems. Stu Does America. Uh, Everyone in Washington is dancing. Everyone's spinning. Everyone's making their case. You know, we've grown, I guess, used to the idea that Democrats uh, and politicians in general can bend the rules of logic. But did you know they can also bend the rules of space and time? It's true. Did you know today is actually yesterday? Did you know today, October 1st, is actually September 30th? Did you know that? It's true. Kind of. This is real, by the way. Only in Congress, which is governed by arcane rules and traditions that often operate like a parallel reality, is it possible to extend a day for more than 24 hours. In this case, by keeping the House in recess on Thursday night instead of adjourning as it does at the end of most days, leaders were able to keep the chamber in the September 30th legislative day, regardless of the actual passage of time. They've actually stopped the passage of time, or at least that's what they're telling you they've done. Democrats who demanded a vote on an infrastructure bill this week um, that it would they demanded it would be uh, they would see action by September 30th. By refusing to allow October 1st to roll around, Ms. Pelosi was upholding her commitment in the very most technical of ways and offering the moderates a fig leaf to cover for the failure to secure the vote. They had been promised. This is your freaking government. (laughs) Instead of just admitting they didn't get the vote done on time. Sorry about that. Let's act like real partners in reality. They just suspended the day on September 30th and never adjourned it. So it's still yesterday. This is how dumb the system is. This is how ridiculous it is. They're saying it's a day. It's not. We always say like, oh, gosh, I can't believe they're just it's like they're saying up is down and and black is white. And yesterday is today. This is how this works. Now, if you really want to kind of get a a vision as to what the process is looking like right now, as Nancy Pelosi tries to get the AOCs of the world and the Joe Manchin's on the world to come to some sort of agreement so they can spend enough of your money to make their time worth it this is basically what the behind the scenes looks like this is a clip from uh, the congressional baseball game the other day with nancy pelosi on the phone it was rodney davis at the top of the lineup speaker no doubt happy about that play but she is known as a big sports fan and often after dealing with a lot of really difficult reporter questions related to what's going on This is (laughs) she's just at the game, not watching it and just screaming at somebody. And look, I don't envy Nancy Pelosi for a million different reasons. Uh, The only thing I envy about Nancy Pelosi is her ice cream situation, which is pretty solid. As you may know from back in the day on this program, when Nancy Pelosi showed off her dual or try uh, freezers with uh, ice cream filled with Jenny's ice cream. I went out and bought every flavor of Jenny's ice cream. And here's one thing you could say about Jenny's ice cream. It's not a Democratic thing. It's just good. Most of it. Some of the flavors are a little weird, but generally speaking, really good ice cream. Okay, uh, so in this vein of just bending the laws of reality... Here's Bernie Sanders tweeting about the current situation. He's very upset about what's going on and wants to explain to you the obvious truth. You should be able to get on board with this one, right? Two senators cannot be allowed to defeat what 48 senators and 210 House members want. We must stand with the working families of our country. We must combat climate change. We must delay the passing of the infrastructure bill until we pass a strong reconciliation bill. What, of course, Bernie doesn't bother pointing out there is it's not two senators defeating 48 It's 52 senators defeating 48. He's just deleting the entire Republican Party, which is not exactly out of character for Bernie. By the way, it would also be uh, over 200 uh, House members who also disagree with what Bernie is trying to do. What's interesting about this is not just the fact that Bernie is completely making up reality and ignoring 50 senators because they don't count. In in addition to that, it's also an interesting insight into where these parties stand currently. The progressives, the AOCs, the Bernies right now want to try to hold the Democrats hostage and the president's agenda hostage so they can get to $3.5 trillion. Joe Manchin has already said he'll do $1.5. So that's the difference, right? You get $2 trillion in between. If you think the Democratic Party actually cares about a $2 trillion difference in spending, you're nuts. They don't care at all. Two trillion dollars—they throw that out the window on the way to work. They burn it in fires every day inside their stupid offices. This is the reality of the Democratic Party now. Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema or Kristen Cinema, whatever her stupid name is—I shouldn't say that. I mean, she's she's doing a very good job. She's actually holding the line. I'm just frustrated, frustrated at all of this. But Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin are holding the line here because they want to stay about $1.5 trillion. Now, coincidentally, they live they are either in in uh, Sinema's case, a purple state in which she will need to please some Republicans to keep her job, or they are in Joe Manchin state of West Virginia that voted for Donald Trump by like 35 points. So there is a reason politically for them to do this. And they're motivated as well by, I guess, some legitimate strains of moderation in in their background. But again, is one point five trillion dollars a moderate plan after you're spending one trillion dollars after we spent seven trillion dollars on covid relief is really one point five trillion extra moderate? Is it compared to what the Soviet Union? What what are we talking about here? I bet we could go back to the Soviet Union's budget and not find anything like this. So Joe Manchin is now fighting with the hardcore left and trying to justify his position. Now, remember, Schumer here is the guy who really looks bad. Schumer has been, you know, uh, telling everybody, well, I just we can't lock these guys down. These moderates just won't come along and we need to get a number out of them. He's had a number since July and he signed a piece of paper acknowledging he had the number in July. Well, Manchin's pissed off about this. So the Bernie Sanders dynamic of him coming out and tweeting these negative things, hold up these bills unless we get what we want. And the Manchin side of things where he's saying, I'm going to just freaking release bills to the press or these this signed paper to the press so we can show you that this bill has been something that's been on my mind for a while. And I'll spend one point five trillion dollars on it. Not really much more between those two things. You have two sides that are pretty far apart. Now, uh, I've, I've talked to you a few times about the book Peril that came out with Bob Woodward in there. They talk about the $1.9 trillion they spent on COVID relief at the beginning of the Biden administration. And Joe Manchin pulled off a very similar dance. He wanted $300 in extended unemployment instead of $400. And there's a few other differences. And he held out and he puffed and he went, oh, I'm so mad. I want the things that I want. And then eventually, of course, he gave in. This is the Joe Manchin history. This is what we're used to. Will he go to $3.5 trillion? I don't think he will. He'll want to come out and say that he got a win. And the Democratic, you know, the, the Democrats on the far left, will they get to three point five? No, but they'll get it probably higher than one point five eventually and pass it and say they got to win. They moved Joe uh, Joe Manchin off of one point five trillion. All of this is to say this is a bunch of theater and it might not happen today. It might not happen yesterday like it was scheduled, but it's going to happen eventually. Do they need to take a month to get this thing hammered out? It might happen that way. But they're going to spend your money. Your money is gone. Act as if it's gone. Understand that inflation is going to go through the roof. Act as if it's going through the roof. Understand that the supply chains are going to have lots of problems. Act that way. Buy the Christmas presents right now. Get ahead of this stuff because it's coming around the corner. Um, now, the left wing activist decided to paddle boat out to Joe Manchin's houseboat because we live in a, in a country where our politicians live on houseboats and you can just paddle boat out to them. I mean, look at this nonsense. Uh, he just <laughs> he went back and forth. This is such a I mean, this is ridiculous. I will say, though, Joe Biden, as a ballet dancer, he looks pretty good. He looks much more flexible than I would have imagined. Joe Manchin countered by asking the activists, how do you think that we spend this? uh, How much do we spend on non-discretionary, basically, basically non-defense after they uh, said that he spends too much on defense? uh, Someone uh, shouted from the water, not enough. Manchin started to say, let me give you one bit of information before being interrupted by an activist who shouted to Manchin. I've got one little bit of information for you. This is the this is the global superpower. This is how it's working. Okay, just so you're aware, the Republicans are likely to take over the Senate. This is our one chance right now to pass the legislation, the protesters said. And that's really what's motivating all this, because it's funny. If you go back to the Obama administration, they roll in with 60 senators, right? Sixty senators. They've got massive control of the House, a huge wave election for Democrats. And they have problems getting through even something like Obamacare, which which they were pitching at under one trillion dollars. They they couldn't get it through. They had to lock it in after. I mean, think about this: the American people defeated a Massachusetts Democrat so that Obamacare wouldn't go through. And there was something about that. I don't I don't know what the dynamic was playing out. I don't think I recognized this at the time. At the time, maybe it wasn't obvious, but now looking at it, it seemed like they were nervous about what people would think if they were going too far. They didn't want to lose control of the Senate. They had 60, but they didn't want to lose control of the Senate, lose control of the House. And they had margins big enough to believe they might be able to hold on to that power. It didn't wind up being true, but that's what they believed at the time. Fast forward to 2020. The Democrats know they're losing the House and the Senate. At least one of them. They know it. Now, you never know what's going to happen in a year, but they are certain of it right now. So they're acting as if they are a party that knows they're going to be out of power very soon We're going to lose anyway. Let's just take the hit and go for everything. Now, it's strange. You'd think you'd go for more when you had 60 senators. But no, the opposite is actually playing out. They have such small margins. They know they're going to lose them. So they're just going for whatever they can get right now. This is it's all a game. And it is basically a giant conversation of theatrical drama to lead to create more problems. It's Friday. I'd like to at least think about a solution to some of these problems. And their solutions are out there. We'll get into that next. Let's say you just came into some money, let's say three point five trillion dollars and you wanted to buy a new home. Now, you're going to get a nice home for $3.5 trillion, but you want to make sure you're getting everything you want. And to get that process to go the way you want it to go, you need a real estate agent who you can trust. Do you want a $1 trillion swimming pool? I mean, it's going to be a big swimming pool. But, hey, you got $3.5 trillion. Why not blow $1 trillion of it on a pool? I mean, it's going to be an infinity pool. It's going to be a sweet one. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find the real estate agent that can walk you through that $3.5 trillion purchase. Or maybe a purchase that's a little more sensible. Maybe, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Wherever you are in the country, you can find the best agent in your area. Just go there, get more information. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. Realestateagentsitrust.com. I'm happy to welcome James Poulos to the program. He's executive editor of The American Mind, author of the upcoming book, Human Forever, The Digital Politics of Spiritual War, and has a recent guest essay in The New York Times entitled How Bitcoin Can Immunize America from Cancel Culture. I'll be sure to tweet out a link shortly. James, how's it going?
1: Hey, Stu, how are you?
0: Really well, I appreciate it. And I really liked your piece a lot. And I think you you went to a, a place that I, I think a lot of people on the right have not gone, which is looking to something that can really solve this problem rather than sort of the political infighting we've been seeing over, over cancel culture for a while. We can all sort of complain and blame uh, the other side for what they do, and, and it's all totally valid, and I do it all the time. However, Bitcoin and blockchain... Are solutions to this problem that go around uh, the sort of structure we're all playing in right now? Can you can you kind of walk people through this?
1: Yeah, so you know, a, a common thought on Bitcoin is that it's basically just one more asset class. It's something you can invest in. It's something that you can sock away and you watch the number go up and and you know you you're happy at some point in the future. Uh, <clears throat> that's not entirely wrong when it comes to. Uh, One flavor of Bitcoin, but there are others and ultimately uh, what what the blockchain offers what Bitcoin offers is a way for ordinary Americans to take some control take some agency back and you tell computers what to do tell all the power of a data center what to do. And, and what it can do is it gives us ordinary people a way of buying and selling, creating goods that are valuable, that are memorable, uh, that can make us stronger, uh, that can uh, protect and expand our human capabilities, uh, rather than hemming us into a social credit system, which is really what it looks like things are headed to. I mean, you look at the way that the treasury, the SEC, other brand, other uh, agencies in the federal government are really working hand in glove to uh, to fully monitor inv- your your most intimate details of your life. Uh, and uh, and the promise of Bitcoin is that you know we can have our own data centers, we can uh, create our own uh, economic life and one that's consonant with our with our culture, with our way of life more broadly, um, and that's something that that no other type of technology is really offering in the same way right now that we can take advantage
0: of. Yeah, it really does tie into this problem, and that's I don't think it's just currency and spending, although that's a big part of it. It goes to I think free expression and so many other things. Um, but let's talk about the financial part here. You you write in your piece in. Recent months, we've seen payment processors, web hosts and other corporations brazenly take coordinated action in lockstep with government priorities to financially freeze out disfavored businesses online. The elimination of a sitting president from social media, whatever its perceived merit or rationale, opened the door to a regime where those who can cancel and suspend accounts do so at whim and in unison. It is a I mean, you know. Donald Trump can get his his message out. I mean, I don't think he has a problem doing that. But think about how this could hit uh, the average person who doesn't have, you know, people are not going to cover their press conferences. Bitcoin and, and blockchain give a kind of a way around that they're able to they can't shut this down. The government can't stop this. And that's what's so powerful about it.
1: Well, that's right. If they really wanted to crack down on it, uh, there are some things that they could do, but it would really begin to push uh, at the last vestiges of the social contract that, you know, most uh, I think by far most Americans uh, consider themselves to have signed up for. So, you know, it's really important that we have uh, a a second amendment for compute uh, that Americans have, you know, codified, recognized right uh, to be able to do things like buy, you know, high, high processing computers uh, to do things like mine Bitcoin. Uh, to do things like, you know, transfer money at, you know, perhaps more than $600, which is the the, the limit that Treasury wants to impose before triggering uh, a federal inspection of your of your bank accounts. Um, if the Feds aren't going to do this or can't do it right away. Um, We got to do this at the state level, state legislators, governors need to step up, uh, start laying down some markers legally. It can be done. There's an opening to do it. uh, And the time to do it's right now.
0: It's a great I think it's a great point. And and I think there's a fight going on with the idea of people who are going to embrace uh, this technology. We've seen that, you know, Miami is doing this. El Salvador is doing it famously. Um, And that embrace as opposed to the opposite side, which is like China, right? China banned all cryptocurrency transactions in their country no mining can occur there any anymore and i mean it feels like the american reaction to something like that would to be the going the other way if china's doing it they see it as a threat to authoritarian power why aren't we uh, embracing the other side of that equation
1: well, I think there's a lot of false criticism of Bitcoin out there. You know, there's a, an attempt to describe cryptocurrencies as eco unfriendly. And it's like, well, stack that up against, you know, what China does to uh, to the global environment. Stack that up to uh, to to what the petrodollar has been responsible for in terms of emissions. And, you know, this kind of tit for tat argument doesn't get us anywhere, uh, especially if you consider that, like, nuclear power. And even as, you know, El Salvador is is trying to prove right now, volcanic power can be used uh, to to contribute to uh, to mining. Um there's another argument that you know Bitcoin's a, a a criminal enterprise basically that is very dangerous as far as you know who can move around what and using this alternate form of currency uh, and the reality is you know if you want to hide your tracks uh, the absolute worst way to do that is by uh, encoding every step of your transaction along the uh, the blockchain this permanent ledger of of all the series of transactions where they came from and who made them uh, so these these arguments are specious but they get traction you know I think a lot of people are are worried especially at a higher level that uh, that the dollar uh, needs to be the the world reserve currency in order for america to be in good shape and you know i i gotta tell you with uh with uh, janet yellen out there uh, expecting a seven trillion dollar tax shortfall because people are already losing confidence in the power of the dollar with runaway inflation uh the federal repo federal reserve repo window uh has has been sucking up dollars i mean there's a lot of slack in the system the value of the dollar is plummeting um we've got you know a trillion dollar uh, infrastructure bill 3.5 perhaps plus trillion dollar bill on uh you know quote unquote climate "Quote unquote social policy." Uh, the, the 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 government's uh, federal government's policy right now is to flood the zone with dollars uh, and debase the currency, um, and that leaves you know ordinary people wondering how it is that they make you know pennies in their savings account, and even that pittance is a taxable income. Uh, and now you've got Janet, Janet Yellen who shouldn't even be in Treasury it's this quickly after rotating out of the Fed. Uh, saying that uh, she wants to tax attack, uh, unrealized gains. I mean, this is insanity. Uh, the people in charge are completely destroying uh, the, the full faith and credit of the American people in the dollar. Uh, so the, these arguments about Bitcoin, that it's irresponsible or reckless or you know, not good for you in some way, they're ridiculous. And we see every day uh, why they're so weak. And that's why people are gravitating you know, to, to platforms that allow you to, uh, to buy and trade crypto and ultimately platforms like the one that I'll be using, Canonic, uh, to uh, to publish my own book on the chain for sale in Bitcoin.
0: Oh wow, that's really cool. Okay, wait, uh, that's interesting. So how does how how does that work? And 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 uh, I mean, can you kind of explain the technology behind it?
1: Yeah, sure. So you know, it's a website canonic.xyz, uh created by a founder friend of mine who's uh, you know a genius if I do say so myself. <laughs> uh, and basically, you know, you can just upload uh, your uh, your work, your book. Uh, To uh, the site where it is encrypted onto chain um, and uh, you know, it's it works a lot like uh, Like Amazon for buying and selling books except, you know, you don't have to uh, you don't have to become a surf in uh, Jeff Bezos's empire Uh, So, you know, I think it's this is just the beginning Uh, People are obviously discovering, you know, what NFTs can do and there can be a lot of hype and, you know, a lot of hot air around some of these cryptocurrencies. But at the end of the day, it's about, you know, people taking the opportunity amongst themselves to create things of value, to create things that are memorable, that we can share through generations uh, and take charge of our destiny back from people who want to trap us in this kind of cyborg vivarium where, you know, we're accustomed to having this little footprint. We don't travel without being taxed. We know that everything we say and do is being monitored and we just try to, you know, keep uh, the authorities from hassling us.
0: I think what's a great, uh, you know, what a great, a great concept behind what you know, your friend's website And and I think this is a great promise of blockchain generally, is that your book will go up there and it will never be able to be removed. It will never be able to be edited. And on the same thing, if you make some claim in there that winds up being not true or some argument you're embarrassed about later, you'll never be able to delete it. It's just there forever. And I think there in that world Holds a lot of promise. We talk about you know, social media, and I think a lot of times we get wrapped up as conservatives, as people who look at this and say, "Well, you know, we need to pass this law. We need to reform this law." And, there, and there's, you know, some some interesting possibilities there, and maybe some things that should be done. We also think, well, we should make the tech companies do X, Y, and Z. But we're never going to be comfortable with the, you know, the the decisions made by a Washington regulator or a tech company CEO. We are never going to like them, and this is. Is a way for us to kind of go completely around that system and make it so that, our, you know, free speech stays as free as it should be.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, let's face it. A lot of these big tech companies, <clears throat> as much as they've offered us, you know, shiny new objects to to enjoy or whatever, uh, a lot of them are just hand in glove with the federal government. You know, they, they were supported by the military industrial complex, the intelligence community early on in their creation. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't find ourselves in the position that we do as Americans, where so much of our technological innovation, so much of our sense of the possibilities of tomorrow is just kind of runoff from things that, uh, you know, uh, people hiding in some uh, big building uh, under maximum security conditions in in Maryland or something, uh, you know, investigated and developed with basic research uh, using blatant checks uh, decades and decades ago. I mean, we, we got to return to a time when ordinary Americans can actually do the innovating themselves, uh, where they can invest together and work together on technology that that empowers them and strengthens them and protects their way of life and gives them the opportunity to, you know, to to, to have surprises in life, that, that life isn't something that's scripted and mapped out and gamed in advance. We're not just imitating, you know, the, the swarms of digital Entities or programs that fly this way or that and we're scrambling to keep up The way for us to take control of our machines back and to liberate ourselves from a social credit system run by, you know uh, Organizations and entities that blurred the line between public and private away is for us to rally around resources like Bitcoin You know at the state and the local level we've got uh, people who understand the stakes and who are capable of uh, laying the groundwork setting the table for You know, really a a sort of refounding of our uh, of our social uh, social compact and our legal system uh, on a footing that's going to allow our country, the United States of America to persist and survive and thrive in a digital age.
0: Uh, James, let's talk a little bit about the social credit system you mentioned, because I think to a lot of people, I know when I first heard it, it, you know, it's it's a black mirror episode. It's something the Chinese government is going to do to crack down on their on their people. But as people kind of become aware of ESG scores and all of these things that are filtering into our society, they're seeing people who are disfavored getting banned and blocked. How does a social credit score system manifest itself in the U.S. when we do have some protections, in theory at least, against it?
1: Well, I think you're already seeing it with the sudden triumph of woke ideology over so many of our major institutions, you know, uh, academia, finance, <clears throat> education. Uh, you know, corporate life, healthcare. I mean, you run the gamut and they're, they're all lining up to do this and why? And it's because, you know, the package that is being offered to the, the ordinary American now is, well, you might not be able to, to save money. You might not be able to make money and you might not be able to, you know, find any community or any prospect of advancement of your life. You might not be able to afford forming a family. Uh, you know, you have to content yourself with maybe a, a pet that fits in your, your micro apartment. Uh, your standard of living is going down. Costs are going up. But guess what? There's good news, which is the way that you can get ahead in this society is to say the right things and to do the things that you're told. Mm. And every time you do that on the Internet in this, you know, in this sort of uh, imitation of reality called uh, social media, social credit, uh, you'll get points. You'll get points that are doled out by by the company, the corporation that that controls your economic life, by the, by the federal government, uh, and by the voluntary, you know, enforcers who uh, who say they want to defund the police, but they want to become your thought police and the police of your words. And if you do good, you get badges. If you do bad, you get punished. You get pushed down the rankings. You get shadow banned. You get banned outright. You you know maybe your your account gets zeroed out. Maybe your credit score uh, is is uh, reduced. Um, It's obvious that this is, you know, the the whole talk of the Great Reset, a core part of it is conditioning people to give up on the idea that they can really have an economic life, an independent economic life, one that supports their, you know, their their continuance of their family, their growth of their family and their personal development and to replace all that kind of, you know, uh, using money. As a measure of goods and services and value and exchange, uh, and replacing that with basically a point system. I mean, that's what we see right now with wokeness, and and we see a complete uh, lack of any hesitancy to just zap people um, out of existence on the internet, basically if they uh, you know cross a line, which is always shifting and is always being set uh, by you know by m- in many cases people who look at ordinary Americans and they say we hate you and we can't wait for the day when people like you are no longer uh, in this country anymore, just don't exist.
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, you really see a micro of this that's happened, we've all understood it hap- happens to, let's say, a conservative student at a left-wing university. Who knows? They might still be conservative. They might think those thoughts, but they know never to say them because essentially their social credit score would go down with the professor and the kids around them. So they just don't say anything. And it, it almost like in, it, it creates an implied censorship, even if there's not direct censorship. And I wonder if this will Uh, be used to expand into all these other rights as well? I mean, there's no you don't have to worry about overturning the Second Amendment if every gun company can't do financial transactions. This is why we need things like Bitcoin to go around it. Do we do you think it will expand to all these
1: other areas? Well, it's expanding right now. And, you know, look, this isn't ideological in in the way that it used to be. I mean, our concepts of left and right really go back to around the French Revolution, just sort of like who sat where in parliament. And you know, if if you're trying to participate in the most fundamental public discussions that a citizen would want to have about the basic political arrangements of their regime, which is supposed to be our constitutionally guaranteed form of government, you're talking about things like, what level of immigration is good? Uh, are, are men men or are men sometimes magically women? Uh, you know, is is natural immunity good? Are antibodies things that it's good for a person to have? You know, it, are we better off having treatments for the coronavirus rather than vaccines that don't really work the way vaccines work and that's why you have to keep shooting them? At? Basic conversations about the fundamentals of public health, of public safety, of, you know, what what makes a just government Um, And if you can't talk about those things, or if, you know, if if your opinions are deemed uh, toxic, because uh, you insist that whiteness is not some kind of spectral monstrosity that infects people and spreads injustice wherever it goes. uh, You know, you, you, this is not about conservative versus liberal everywhere. We've we've gone to a much more fundamental level. uh, And it just so happens that, you know, conservatives most of the time today are a little bit more inclined to recognize, sort of see the warning signs and have a sense of where this is going. Uh, But this is going to spread unless it's stopped. And the best way for ordinary uh, people to stop it is by uh, making sure that in this digital age we live in, they assert and establish firm uh, social and cultural and personal control over their their technological destinies. Mm, I love it. James Polos, uh, executive
0: editor of The American Mind, author of a great New York Times guest essay, How Bitcoin Can Immunize America from Cancel Culture. Really important stuff here. Be sure to give it a read. We'll make sure to tweet it out as well. James, thanks so much for taking the time and coming on the program.
1: Hey, anytime. Thank you.
0: We're just talking about how cryptocurrency and blockchain offers some ways to kind of get around these big tech companies. However, until all that stuff's kind of fully put together, uh, you're probably still on a lot of these. You might be watching on Facebook right now. If you're on Facebook and you want to go around the big tech companies, because they might be blocking uh, some of the content we're putting up there. It happens a lot, especially with conservative pages. If you go to Facebook and you go ahead and click the follow button, or you hold it down if you're on your phone, there's a little top secret menu that pops up and lets you mark the show, or my page, Stuber Gear, as one of your favorite pages. Um, and of course, obviously, I'm one of your top three million favorite people. So, I mean, that's it's clear. But if you do that, you'll be able to see a lot of more of the comment, uh, content and you can drop some comments on our clips and we'll get to uh, all the uh, comments uh, on air as we go on. Um, so let's go into some other news here. I, I, Disney is, is not, I wouldn't consider them a, a group of good decision makers. <laughs> okay, let me give you a couple of examples of this. Uh, so they fired Gina Carano. Uh, Because she basically made a normal political observation, uh, and one that was made by other stars on the show, but on the left side, she kind of made it, not even clearly, but sort of to the right side, and she was thrown off of the Mandalorian. I mean, really the breakout character of that show uh, for uh, Disney+. Plus. Uh, and so she was tossed. Then, I guess, people got pissed off about that, and they decided to start a campaign to get Lucy Lawless to take the role. Uh, and Lucy Lawless then did not get the role or anything else adjacent to Star Wars. And they think, at least she believes, the reason she didn't get it is because, well, people were, were so excited about it, then Disney didn't want to bend to the mob. So they bent to the mob to fire Gina Carano but then didn't want to bend to the mob to allow a a replacement that they themselves wanted to hire makes no sense. Then think about Hollywood for a second because now Disney plus after screwing up the Mandalorian, what are they going to do with their time? Sister act three. Seriously sister act three with Whoopi Goldberg. And now look, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, you know, I, she could barely get through an episode of The View. She's going to be dancing or bouncing around all over the place. I mean, I think that's a terrible idea. Uh, just, um, look, it's one good thing. Nurses, uh, nuns wear lots of clothing. So at least we should be safe on that front. Though you never know with Disney. They, they could try something crazy there, too. And if you want to talk about real, solid cinema, we're talking about what does America need right now? What, if, if you could do anything... To change the the tides of the negative forces in America, what would you do? Would there be one thing? And, of course, the answer to that is yes. It's to re-release Rocky IV, but this time with a director's cut. I am, to say I'm excited about this, I mean, it's not even remotely close to accurate. I'm beyond excited for it. Uh, Rocky uh, IV, directed um, by Sylvester Stallone, uh, or at least this is the director's, the new director's cut. Uh, It's going to add 40 minutes of footage. Now, if you go back and watch Rocky IV, as I have several hundred times, uh, I was a big fan, okay? You know, I was a kid when this movie came out. I was, I don't know, nine? When did it come out? 85? I think it was nine. Yeah, 1985. Now, this is, of course, as you probably do know, the movie that ended the Cold War and and defeated communism uh, all around the world. I mean, people know that part of it already. But you watch it back, and it is... It is a, uh, you could tell it's from the 80s, let's put it that way. Not just because, you know, the film, you know, the footage isn't as good and everything. It's like basically a montage of music videos more than it's a movie. Like, it's just a bunch of full-length songs just dropped right in the middle of the movie. Songs you've never heard before unless you've watched Rocky IV. Burning Heart, kind of a hit song back in the day, that's in there, but then... There's also just like, you know, No Easy Way Out by Robert Tepper, uh, which is approximately he's just driving a car and flashing back to boxing scenes for like eight minutes. I don't know. I I, I mean, I love every second of it, but like it's a it's a it's a little bit of an uh, artifact of the time. That Rocky Four. It'll be interesting to see what they do with it in a re release. They're releasing it on uh, November 11th in theaters for one night. It's called Rocky versus Drago, the ultimate director's cut, and then it'll be able to rent on demand uh, on November 12th. I don't know. 40 extra minutes of footage, I am in. This is, the world sucks right now, okay? Everything's bad. You know what's good? Rocky Four. Rocky Four will bring us back to the America we all demand and deserve so i assume maybe global communism will be defeated once again not holding out my full hopes for that but i at least hope the movie's good back in a second Merck, the uh, pharmaceutical company, is announcing that they have a new pill. Uh, This is a new sort of uh, medication, at least, that reduces the risk of hospitalization or death from COVID-19 by around 50 percent in a clinical trial. Now, of course, this is early information coming from the company who makes it. So you always have to take that with a grain of salt. Um, But it is uh, maybe another promising treatment around the corner. I will say this, and this is I don't know. Is this controversial? People are a tad too sensitive about coronavirus. ta I know it's a weird kind of take, but it really is insane. I, I, these things come, like, alright, Merck's coming out with a new medication. I've seen both sides of this. People are acting as if, you know, oh, this is terrible. It's going to um, distract people from taking the vaccines, and then they're going to think there's these treatments and so they don't need the vaccines. And the other side, it's like, why are they coming out with a new drug when they already have ivermectin? It's like, look, I know a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of people about this. People talk to me all the time about COVID. Why? Because I rant about it on the program all the time. And, you know, I'm on a couple of news shows. So it's what people talk about. And I've met tons of people who have taken ivermectin. I have met tons of people who have taken hydroxychloroquine. I met tons of people who have taken the vaccine. You know, just do what you want to do. Like, I don't really buy this thing on the right where you can't get ivermectin because they won't prescribe it. It does happen. Some doctors won't do it. But there's plenty of doctors who will. And honestly, if you feel so passionately that you're going to choose the medication that you believe is the right one and you believe it's ivermectin, good for you. You're going to have to find a doctor who agrees with your form of treatment. If you're going to a doctor who thinks ivermectin is horse-paced, then you need a new doctor, right? Like, the the doctor is not giving you the, the, the care that you need. You probably need to go find somebody else. On the other hand, if you think, you know, you want to get vaccine, you know, you want to you have 14 vaccines in every arm every Tuesday. You want nine booster shots a day. I don't know. I mean, I, OK. But like this, this idea that we all need to freak out. Like if you don't want to take the damn Merck drug, don't take it. Ivermectin's another Merck drug. Take that one. If you don't want to take ivermectin, you want to take this one. Do it. Stop telling me about it. Uh, everyone freaks out about everything. And I just think there's there needs to be a little bit. This is why I I solved this pandemic a couple weeks ago. Um, And if you missed that show, you should go back and watch it. But like the problem here and the problem with all this covid stuff is that not everybody has it in their own control. Right. Like, uh, you know, I don't know. Blowing up your your liver and your kidneys uh, with alcohol is a problem that you face if you drink too much alcohol. But we have a solution to that, which is don't drink alcohol if you don't want that to happen to you. Right. We can you can control, generally speaking, that problem when it comes to something like drunk driving. It's another story. And that's why it's hard to deal with drunk driving. It's not hard to deal with uh, with, you know, kidney problems from drinking because people do it themselves. And we might tell you, hey, please don't do that. Please try something else. Have a glass of water every once in a while. I know that's not water. That's actually vodka. We can have those conversations. But like, when there's a possibility of high, you have N95 masks that are widely available. If you happen to be one of these people who's triple vaxxed and is still freaking out when you go to the grocery store, wear one of those. Don't, Bob, don't make all of us mask up. You go and take control of the situation yourself. Same thing here. If this Merck thing comes out and it works as well, it gets approved, fantastic. Treatments are part of this. And I will say, there are a lot of things we can't prevent ourselves from getting. A lot of illnesses hit people all the time, and we have treatments to deal with that. Vaccines are part of the equation, but not the only part. If we have good treatments like monoclonal antibodies, for example, which, you know, act in some ways in a similar way as the mRNA vaccine. I mean, it kind of cuts the corner on the mRNA vaccine, but they work in similar ways. Whatever. Good. We want people to live. Can we agree at least on that point? I mean, I I just this stuff doesn't need to be you. A news story comes out and everybody picks their side. Let's just all cheer for the good things to happen. You know, I mean, I I, I don't get it. I really don't. And and we don't need things like what Gavin Newsom's doing in California, where now he's going to try to mandate um, vaccines for K through 12. Now, of course, you might note. They're not even approved for kids K through 12. They're only approved for kids 12 and over. So I guess he's assuming eventually they're going to get approved, which is probably going to happen for 5 to 11-year-olds here in the next couple months. Uh, But he wants to uh, mandate vaccines. And look, never, at least I can think of in my life, have I ever seen such a reversal of the parent-child relationship. If you're a parent, you know you sacrifice things to try to help your child, to protect your child. That's your role as a dad or a mom, right? That's what you do. You, you change your life to make sure their life is better. You change the things you do to try to protect them and give them the best life possible. And all the sacrifice is on you. Kids can just, you know, they don't have to go to work to make sure they're fed every, every day. You sacrifice, you do those things to make sure they are taken care of. And this COVID situation, the way the left has, has, has uh, calculated it, is to completely reverse that idea that kids have to do all of the sacrifice with none of the risk. Remember, the kids aren't the ones dying here. The kids have to sacrifice to protect the adults and the grandparents. Like that is a total reversal of how. We, are, we think of the nuclear family, and I, you wonder at times how much that plays into it, because we've seen several organizations outwardly admitting they want to dissolve that tradition. But like, I, I just, you know, people are never going to get on board with this. You'll get some people on the far left to say that this is a sensible thing to do, to make kids sacrifice their entire childhoods to protect the out-out. Lying possibility of negative effects on a vaccinated 65 year old. Sure, somebody out there will agree with that, but it's totally against our nature. And that really does need to stop. Probably the most important takeaway from this week is that Nancy Pelosi sucks. That's why we have a Nancy Pelosi Sucks pen. Yes, NancyPelosiSucksPen.com. It's a replica of the pen she used to sign the Donald Trump impeachment. Uh, and it says Nancy Pelosi sucks in her signature font. I hope you uh, enjoy it. By the way, we know all these big problems are coming up with the supply chains right now. These are in stock. If you want to get them for Christmas, this might be a good time to just order them, get it out of the way. NancyPelosiSucksPen.com. Uh, by the way, she made the weirdest hand gesture I've ever seen the other day. We pointed this out. I, I, how long are her fingers? I, I really don't understand. She's making two concentric circles there. I don't, how is she doing that? She looks like an alien with like those really long, she's weird. Um, uh, this comes in on YouTube where you can always comment on the show as it happens. Nancy Pelosi was throwing up the new white power sign since the cat's out of the bag on the okay sign. Gotta have the new one. I think that's probably it. Okay, before we leave, here's what happened. Guy in Florida gets in his little plane. He's gonna fly over the Florida-Georgia line, and then he flies into the Georgia lines, like the power lines, Uh, crashed his plane into the power lines. Now that sucks, and then he got tangled around, and then he's just dangling there for hours and hours as rescue crews tried to come and save him. I will say, uh, the negative side of this, the pessimistic side is the guy crashed his plane, which sucks. The optimistic side, glass half full, Is there a better place to crash your plane than power lines? I mean, it's the best,
1: unless someone just left out a giant marshmallow you could crash into.